0: My name's Kevin Subra, if you don't know who I am. I pastored for a little over 30 years, Bible occasionally, while working full-time. And pastoring full-time, I got to the point where I was just a little too old to do that. So now I just work full-time. So, anyway, but uh, I've been in the IT industry for years and years, and I do risk assessment work at one of the major banks, and uh, it's as exciting as it sounds. (laughs) So, people... Something like reading a dictionary, only less fun, (laughs) right? So I did want to say anyone that comes on Sunday night starting next week, any age is fine. I have 15 kids and 24 grandkids, counting the one coming in January, so I can deal with it. So (laughs) come and have a good time, okay? Okay. I entitled this message, God is in charge of those he places in charge of me. That is something we need to hear, especially in a place where independence is so highly embraced. Leaders are part of our everyday lives. We have government leaders at many levels, right? We have leaders in the church, leaders at work, and leaders at home. These leaders are imperfect, and leaders are sinful, just like those that they lead. Right? Sometimes even the best leaders make decisions we do not agree with, or seem to make life hard or treat us unfairly. Poor leaders can make life miserable All of the time. Do you ever struggle under someone who is in charge of you? You might be frustrated by a leader, discouraged by a leader, or even fearful of a leader. Psalm 57 is a song written by David to God to express David's struggle with a leader who was seeking to kill him. Saul literally had David running for his life. In the beginning of the psalm there, you see it says, to the chief musician, set to not do not destroy a, a tune of some kind, like we sang Psalm 57 today. That was great. A, a Mitchem of David. Uh, Mitchem is a, a lesson of sorts. But notice what it says here. When he fled from Saul into the cave... Well, that narrows it down a little bit. That helps give us some scope because you cannot understand the Psalms well without understanding the context in which they're written. There are two cave scenarios, so that makes it a little more difficult. And uh, usually you can't just flip a coin. You have to figure more out, right? So in Samuel 21.10, David flees from Saul to Gath. Charlie mentioned that last week. Not the best choice David ever made. He fled to his enemies. He had killed Goliath. Remember Charlie bringing that up last week? David had slain Goliath, and so everyone kind of remembered who he was and didn't think he should be around. Ultimately, he's brought to the leader of Gath and and captured. some way, he acts like a crazy man. He literally went to the uh, door and slobbered and all of that to look like he's crazy, and then somehow, the Bible doesn't indicate, but he escaped and ran to the cave of Adullam where he there gathers even more men to his cause. Two chapters later, Saul chases David around a mountain in the wilderness. Literally, they're running around uh, chasing, uh, being, David is being chased by a large number of Saul's men. Saul has to call off the chase when Israel was attacked by the Philistines. So he had, he was just about caught David and then he gets called away. David heads to Engedi, which is a different place. If you're familiar with the, the Dead Sea, it's on the western coast of the Dead Sea, about halfway down. And that's where uh, once Saul hears that David is now there, after Saul finishes fighting with the Philistines, He hears that David's in the wilderness of En Gedi, so he takes 3,000 men, his best men, to pursue David, who only has about 600 men. That's a five-to-one ratio I would run, not fight, just to say that, right? So David has 600 men about that time. We're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 24. So would you turn your Bibles there? Because that is the context, as I understand it, of Psalm 57. 1 Samuel 24. And it's an interesting passage here. Picking up where, like I said, we left off. I'm going to read the whole thing and I'm going to refer back to it in the three points that we have. So, 1 Samuel 24. And here we go. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him saying, "Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi." Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats, one an area in, near Engeti there. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a what? A cave. Now this is embarrassing, but it's in the Bible. I'm going to read it. And Saul went in to attend to his need. And there's a parenthesis here. Not a good thing. David and his men were staying in the recesses of what? The cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went his way. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look This day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave and someone urged me to kill you. But my eye spared you and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand for in that I cut off in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, know that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, "'Is this your voice, my son, David?' And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, "'You are more righteous than I, "'for you have rewarded me with good, "'whereas I have rewarded you with evil. "'And you have shown this day how you have dealt with me. "'For when the Lord delivered me into your hand,' You did not kill me. For um, if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the God, excuse me, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Click up or down? Down, down okay, all right. I knew there were secrets. Keep your Bible open to 1 Samuel 24, will you? The rest of it we'll just have up here, Okay. Anyway, that's the context. When he fled from Saul into the cave, the previous cave, he fled from the Philistines to the cave. Okay, there's also one other piece of evidence that shows in a little bit we'll see that and Steve has already read in Psalm fifty seven that the trap, the the one that was chasing, fell into his own trap. That is, and that's exactly what happened here. Okay, we already read the context. So I'm going to give you today three truths to learn from David regarding those God has placed over me. Now, it may just be a narrative and it happened, but there's a lot there that relates to someone under someone else. And David keeps referring to it, and that's his logic for not killing Saul. So that seems to be the primary point going on here. So let's look at him here. Truth number one here. God is ultimately in charge. Do you believe that God is ultimately in charge? Because if you do, that'll change the way you approach every circumstance of life, every relationship, every decision you make. If God is ultimately in charge. Now, I I wrote this down late last night, I think it was. I don't know. I don't know why this is in my head. But let me just refer to something that has absolutely nothing to do with the passage today. Can I do that? Of course you can. You're in front and you're talking, right? I'm fascinated with the universe. I don't know much about it. Most people don't know much about it. But did you know how... If you got in a car and you could do this, you pointed your car to the sun, which this time of year, it's not hard to find the sun. And if you could do this and drive the speed limit, if there's a speed limit in space, but there's not, and it's, if it is, it's a lot faster than you can drive. But let's say 70 miles an hour, it's the interstate speed here in, in Iowa, and you drove... To the average number of miles the distance the sun is away from us, 93 million miles. Do you know how long it would take you without bathroom breaks, without stopping for gas? Well, once you get started in space, you'll be good, right? 151 years of driving to get to the sun at 70 miles an hour. You up for it? Not gonna happen, right? That's a long ways, and that's just to the sun, and we enjoyed the benefits of that every day. Now, I'm not gonna go into the solar system. We know I remember they launched one of the satellites, Dan, when we were little, like way back in the the day, like in the 70s, and they said, Yeah, it's gonna go by Jupiter and what you know, the end of the, the millennium kind of thing, and you're like, that is a long ways away, and it's already passed and gone now. But it took forever. It was years and years to get to Jupiter and then beyond. But listen, our universe, according to to one website, is 105,700 light years across. That means if you travel at 186,000 miles a second, some of you drive like that, (laughs) it'll take you 105,000 years to get across. Our Milky Way, okay? They estimate, scientists estimate that there's a hundred billion planets and 400 billion stars. I don't even know what those numbers mean, unless you're talking about Creeping Charlie. I have about that in my backyard. Depending on which website, but that, that's one galaxy they estimate of what we can see right now, somewhere between 200 billion to 1 trillion galaxies. And my God spoke that into existence. And we don't think God has a handle on things. And David understood that, no, he does. He really does. And he didn't even have the internet to Google. He knew it. Back to 1 Samuel 24, I'm going to look at the first seven verses here. Now it happened when Saul returned. Saul was chasing him, and that's not fair. David had done absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, he was playing music for him and all of that, right? He was, David was his MP3 player. He was playing music and and helping him and carrying his armor and all of that. And Saul gets jealous. He disobeys God. God says, you're not going to continue in your dynasty. And then Saul finds out David is going to be the next king. And so he tries to kill David. David has done nothing. He was minding his own business watching sheep, man. Not fair at all. Saul is chasing him. Then Saul comes with an overwhelming force, three hundred, like I said, 3,000 against 600. I don't care how good David's men were, it wouldn't have been a good fight. So David's running for his life, and Saul stops to use the rest area. As a king, he was afforded a little more privacy than the average soldier would have been. So he gets to stop... The group and go in and use the restroom in the cave. There was no restroom in the cave, but you understand the point, right? He's in there in his privacy as a king can have. And uh, he thinks he's all alone, which is privacy's good, right? All alone, and it says to take care of his needs. However, David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. They were hiding in the cave for for concealment and probably a little bit of air conditioning, right? Cooler in the cave. And guess what? David's men say, look at the opportunity. This is tactically sound, right? Right? You have six hundred against one now, and it only takes one of us to take him out. This is the opportunity. In fact, they say, look at God put him into your hand. And they're encouraging him on a spiritual level to take his soul's life. <laughs> right? So David's theology reigns here, but uh That would have solved this problem maybe on a human level. We try to solve our own problems on a human level. We try to fix our problems. And it doesn't work. David cuts off a piece of Saul's robe and even that begins to trouble him. But then he refuses to do more. Verse 6 of 1 Samuel 24 says, And he said to his men, Lord forbid that I the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. He's still calling him his master because he's in authority over him. The the Lord's anointed. Understand that God put him there. David understood that God put him there. He's a horrible man, but God still put him there. And God is still in control of the one he anointed to lead at that time. So it's God's business, not his. He said, "I won't stretch out my hand against him, seeing he's the anointed of the Lord." So they let him go. Now let's look at—I just have it on the screen here—but Psalm fifty-seven, one and two. Instead of attacking his boss, David goes to his boss's boss. David goes to the one who's in charge of the one who's in, the ones he placed in charge of him. You can always go to God in any situation if you have an issue with authority. Because God puts that authority over you. And God is still in control of that authority. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. Until these calamities have passed, I will cry out to whom? God Most High. Commander of the commanders. King of kings. Lord of lords. The creator of absolutely everything. To God who performs all these things for me. Remember God Most High. You can always go to God Most High. God is able to help because He is in charge. He has the power... I think I'll just speak creation into existence. And He has the authority. He controls it all. He turns the hearts of what? Kings. You can't do that. But God can. Here's a passage of Scripture in Romans. It says this, Let every soul be subject to... To the governing authorities. Now that's speaking directly of governmental authorities here. But notice the next statement here. I put it in bold. For there is no authority except from God. Do you see that? That's a general statement. That's a general principle. There's no authority that you're under that doesn't come from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Quick observations here. God commands us to be subject to authorities. God is the originator of all authority. No authority exists apart from him. And I believe in any place in any situation, right? Because God is in control. God places all authorities. God outranks all authorities. And resisting authorities is resisting God, according to Romans 13. And as a caveat here, all human authorities are imperfect and sinful. Every last one of them. So don't use that as an excuse. God is aware of and in control of all authorities. Okay? Principle there. So, summary point here. God is ultimately in charge. Let me give it another way. Turn to God as the one who is in charge. When you have situations that don't seem right, talk to the one who's in charge of the one who placed them over you. You may not be able to do anything about the situation you're in, but you can talk to the one in charge. No matter where you are on the ranking system, you might be the lowest private, but you can talk to the commander-in-chief. And he is in control. Second truth here, I can rely on God's control. It's one thing to say, yeah, I believe God's in control. Oh, really? Do you act on that? Do you let God be God in those situations? Let me go back to 1 Samuel 24. Verse 8, David also arose after and went out to the cave and called out to Saul. Now, I'm not going to read all of this, but let me just summarize here. David still displays respect to Saul. He bows down to the ground. Does Saul deserve it? Hello? Saul doesn't deserve it, but does God require such things? I keep kind of halfway looking at Jim over here in the military. I spent four years in the, the army one day. And um, and rank is everything. It doesn't matter what the person is. It matters what's on his... Well, it's down here now, right? It used to be on the collar. It doesn't matter. It's what the rank is. That's what matters. Right? It, the, the, the person in charge may not be worthy of being in charge, but they still are in charge. They're your authority. David doesn't harm Saul as God because he understands that he's God's appointed authority. He understands that God places people over me, and that's God's realm, not mine. David says there's no rebellion or sin against him. And then David, notice verse, I want you to see verse 12 here. He says this, and if you, if you grab anything else, get David's attitude here. Let the Lord judge. Do you think God is in charge? Can you trust His control? Then let Him judge. Let Him judge the situation. Because He knows way more than you do about all the situations, right? He knows all the circumstances, and he's in control he can change it when he believes it is best to do so he goes on to say let the lord avenge me on you but i will not lift up my hand against you he calls on god to avenge him but i'm not going to be the one to do anything against you let god judge God is able to rescue me if He chooses. Do you believe that? Then you can rest in your circumstance that you cannot change to let God do what He will do. I need to rest on God's control of leaders in the circumstances they create. Let me give you another example of this. Two chapters later, it's right up here. Well, here's Psalm, sorry. Let me read this. He shall send from heaven. God will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who will swallow me up. Selah, stop and think about that. He says, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. By the way, that does great things. God's sending his mercy and his truth. I want God's help, and I want it to be true, right? There's so much untruth in our world today. My soul is among lions. God knows my circumstances. I lie or sleep, lay down among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. God knows my circumstances. Now here's another area here. Let me jump to this. I am not seeing this here. Maybe it jumped ahead. Here it is. I had too many slides. Let me read this to you. It's two two chapters later. Another time he gets a chance to kill Saul. They go into the camp. They're all asleep. Do you remember that? They go down with three men, David and two other men. David said to Abishai, he said, Abishai says, I can kill him right now. I can pin him to the ground with his own spear. David says to Abishai, do not destroy him for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed? David still has that attitude and be guiltless. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die. He'll die of old age or boredom or whatever, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. See the attitude? Let God deal with it. Let God handle the timetable. I think I should be in charge now. Well, maybe God doesn't think you should be in charge now because you're not in charge now. Just as an old guy saying this, God always has the better idea. Right? I could say that with experience. All the times I get frustrated about things not happening or whatever, it's like, boy, God really knew what He was doing, didn't He? You know, it's like, like that should be a shock to me. We should have that attitude all the time here. Here's three examples of that same idea let God handle things when you can't handle them with regard to authorities. Servants, 1 Peter 2 18 to 20. Be submissive to your masters with all fear or respect. Not only to the good and gentle. Like, it's good to have a good boss. Life is good, sure, see ya. But also to the what? Does the Bible say that? It does. For this is what commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief suffering what wrong unfair and you take it because you know who's in charge for what credit is it i'm looking up at a screen up here i know you're looking here so i should be pointing like this right for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults he's really talking about suffering wrongfully if you're beaten for your faults, you take it patient. If you get a ticket for speeding and you're kind to the officer who's giving you a ticket, big deal. You earned that ticket, right? But when you do good and suffer, and he's talking about being beaten as a servant, we probably haven't been there, maybe, hopefully, as I've never been a slave for anybody. If you take it patiently, this is commendable to God. What? I live in the United States. I don't have to put up with that. All right? Well, you, maybe not that, but you are to take it patiently. God has put you there and put someone over you on purpose because He's in charge. Same passage, but He's talking now about Jesus Christ. This is the next verse in the passage. For... To this you were called, to take suffering wrongfully, patiently? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So what example is this? Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, this is the example he left? Did not revile again? Someone was in your face and you didn't get back in theirs. When he suffered, he didn't say, just wait, because I'll be back. He didn't open his mouth. Why? It says, (laughs) sorry, I keep pointing up. But he didn't threaten. But notice what he said. I put it in a different color but committed himself, what? Who judges the, to him who judges righteously. You can do that. Because God is in charge, and you can trust him to do what is right. Even Jesus served as an example to do that. And by the way, he accomplished great things because he did that. Last one in the passage, it goes to 1 Peter 3. Wives, notice the word likewise, just like what Jesus did, just like what the slaves did. Be submissive to your own husbands. That's another form of authority, right? That even if some do not obey the word, you can revile, you can attack. No, what do they say? They without a word may be won by the what? Conduct, you patiently address it. You patiently deal with it. When they observe your chase, what? Conduct again, right? Accompanied by respect or fear. This is a principle that you find all the way through the Bible. Here's another way to say it. Trust in God to control the outcome. You can trust God to control the outcome. He's that big. He's that powerful. And He is all authority. He's the originator of all authority. You appeal to God because he's in charge and he understands what's going on. And he placed you in the situation you're in. Here's the third truth. God merits all attention. God merits all the attention. Now you're saying, Kevin, what does this have to do with anything? We'll, we'll get here. It's Psalm 57. My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. This is David's attitude toward all that's going on. I will sing and give praise. Now, you're not singing and give praise to nothing. You're singing and giving praise to God. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. What does that mean? That's the way we need to get out of bed. God needs to be the focus. That great God, that God who's in charge and in control of all my circumstances. I can rest in him so I can wake up and praise God. Because even though I don't fully comprehend all of what's going on, God absolutely does. I will praise and I bolded this you Oh, Lord, among the peoples, this this is to be exuberance that overflows the people I'm around. I will sing to you among the nations. It isn't just the secret you keep to yourself. God is in control and I can rest in it no matter what circumstances. And if if I can even say horrible circumstances that are happening to me or going on around me. And my, we live in days like that. David goes on to say, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens. He'd already mentioned mercy and truth before he brings it out again. Your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth under the clouds. And then he ends by saying, be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be above all the earth. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying to choose to praise God in whatever happens, right? That's the attitude we have to have. We're not just singing a song to sing a song. We're, we're expressing attitudes. And part of this is, God, I want you to be exalted. I don't want, and if I can speak in the, as if I'm David, David's saying, I don't want me to be exalted here in this cave. I could take out Saul right now and get my life Right back to balance. God, I want your plan to come to pass. When this is all over, I want God to, for people to see you, not David. I want God's will, not David's will. And it'll happen in God's time, not David's time. And so God, I rest in you. You Work everything out so that you are exalted. That's what David is saying. It isn't a song just to sing. You can put a you in front of be exalted because it's implied. You be exalted, God. Let your glory be above the earth. God is to be my focus and my motive my purpose for getting up, and the reason I decide what I decide, and sometimes I just don't know what to do, but I can talk to the one who's in charge of all of the universe. He is to be the focus and motive. And I'm going to give you one New Testament example here. How many of you know this? The Lord's Prayer, you've heard it. The Lord's Example Prayer. You've heard this said so many times, Right? It says this he said to them when you pray you can probably say it out you know from memory right our father in heaven what hey look at this what are you getting this people pray this just rattle it off and it's like you're saying no God when all this is done I want your name to be sanctified your name to be lifted up I want my life to be centered around you. Your name needs to be lifted up. It isn't the exaltation of Kevin. It's the exaltation of the God of the universe that needs to happen here. When we're praying, that's what we're thinking here. May your name be hallowed by how I live. And notice what it says here too, because you know what's coming, right? What's next? Your kingdom come. Uh, God, I want what you want to come to pass, not what Kevin wants to come to pass. Amen? You don't want what Kevin wants to come to pass, because life would center around Kevin. That would be horrible for you. Because I don't even know the details of your life, except I know that you always sit in that chair. Right? But other than that, I don't know anything about you. But I'm saying... When I pray, I use this as a pattern. It's like, God, I want to do what you're planning, what you want to come to pass. And that is completely different than when you find out you're being chased and in a cave. Right? But that's David's attitude. It's still in the New Testament here. It says, "I want, God, I want what you want to come to pass. And notice here. What you, <laughs> I want you to be highlighted what you want to come to pass and your will be done the way you want it to come to pass. You ever try to do God's will your way? Yeah, well, I want to do God's kingdom, but I want to do it by my timetable, my plan, my means, my methods. And so you hit the snooze 38 times on Sunday morning or what, you know, like that. And it's like, no, God, God has what he wants done and the way he wants to do it. And that's what God wants us to do. And that's what David's attitude ultimately was. Remember, God is ultimately in charge. I can rely on God's control, and God merits all the attention. Here's the third point repeated. Target God's exaltation and glory. Lift God up. Hallowed be His name, His kingdom, His will. That's what should motivate and focus our lives. Here's the three statements here at the end together. God is in charge of those that He places in charge of me. Can you rest on God to be God and actually control things that you cannot? Because that's what the Bible says you need to do. You and I need to rest on the power and authority of God who can speak the universe into existence And yet we can't trust him for the simple things. God is trustworthy and powerful.